0: What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another exciting episode of Bitcoin and Markets. My name is Ansel Lindner. What I do here is a daily live stream and I put it out in podcast form. If you want to take part in the live streams, you can follow me on Twitter at Ansel Lindner or, better yet, go to the Telegram, t.me forward slash Bitcoin and Markets. Also, check out the website, bitcoinandmarkets.com. Sign up for the free tier, get notified of all my content, get a free weekly newsletter. And there you can also become a full member and support me for $5 a month and support this unique perspective in Bitcoin. So I want to thank everyone that supports over there on Bitcoinandmarkets.com. If you're new, I hope you enjoyed the episode. Subscribe, like, share, check out Bitcoinandmarkets.com. Okay, let's get into today's show. Today we're going to go over the Bitcoin price a little bit. Uh, look at a, a few charts, and then we are going to go through some Davos news. So uh, Davos is having their annual symposium going on right now. We're going to read a little bit of history of Davos. We always take this opportunity every year to talk a little bit about the history. And then we are going to go into some of their narratives or their talking points this year and dive all into that. So should be kind of a fun show. I want to thank everybody that's joining me over on Telegram. Just a few people in here just started it up. And then uh, on Twitter, we're going on Twitter as well. And YouTube, live streaming on YouTube at BTC Market Update. So thanks for everybody joining. If you'd like to support the show, go to bitcoinandmarkets.com. Sign up to become a paid member or there is a free tier. You can just sign up and get the weekly newsletter. Um, This week, I am in the process of writing it right now. Uh, should come out later today. The way that that works out is we have a headline section where I talk about Bitcoin headlines, some macro headlines, then a price analysis section that has been bang on. If you go back and look at the last three, four weeks, I mean, most of the time, my predictions are pretty good if I do say so myself, but uh, they have been really, really good over the last few weeks. Um, three weeks ago, I you know, at the end of the of uh, 2022, I said, hey, we should see you know, slow moving price rises and then some momentum really picking up in the new year. And that's exactly what we've seen. So um, yeah, we'll talk about price here in a second. And what else is on the newsletter? Uh, mining news. So I just break down some of the latest headlines, quote from the articles, show a few mining charts. And then a new section that I'm trying to add every week if there are updates to this is the Lightning Network. Um, I think that is going to continue to grow in importance and uh, in headlines, and so I wanted to add a section at least that I can take on and off of the weekly report, Uh, because last week there wasn't a lot of Lightning news, so I didn't even um, include the Lightning section, but I'm trying to do that every week if there is some news to talk about for Lightning. Anyways, so, go over to bitcoinandmarkets.com and sign up for that. That is the free tier. And uh, I appreciate everybody who supports the show. Okay, let's go to the charts. I will be sharing these in Telegram. Telegram is still my home base. I've spent a lot of time there. We have uh, some back and forth commentary. Just this morning, I posted a chart uh, of the SP 500, and Point BTC jumped on there and was like, dude, the market's closed today. And I was like, oh, man, because I think I brought that chart up at like 10 o'clock and I just like almost out of habit, just snapped the chart and posted it said, Oh, look, at this is doing. And I just forgot totally that the market was closed today. Um, but anyway, so yeah, we go back and forth. We um, catch, catch each other on things like that. Uh, and we have a good community over there. So check out the telegram t.me4 slash Bitcoin and markets. Okay. So what you guys are looking at here is the Bitcoin chart. This is the daily chart. And I think this is kind of interesting because obviously we're over the 200-day. We are over, let me see if I can bring up this. Uh, There's my resistance zone. So we blew right through the resistance zone, blew right through the 200-day moving average. And we are almost to the tick, I mean, really, really close to the dollar of where we were at the FTX high, you know, the high that we hit right before FTX in November. Um, I talked about this situation, I think back in December, possibly about, you know, what happens when Bitcoin keeps going up, all of this stuff in the market it has happened, all the bad news, all the blowups and and the FUD keeps coming out like blowups, blowups, uh, more contagion, et cetera, et cetera. Bitcoin is going to zero. We have Peter Zion coming out saying it should be negative. That's the first ever negative Bitcoin prediction I've ever heard, but um, you Know there's all of this FUD, yet Bitcoin makes new highs since FTX, right? And just a couple months later, fights back and comes back stronger. I mean, that is a turnaround story, that is something that is going to catch people's eyes. And the mainstream financial press is not going to be able to help themselves writing headlines about what's going on with Bitcoin. So, um, this is an amazing last few days. Obviously, they're I think um the second half of the move was a short squeeze where uh people were forced to close their short positions and to close a short position you have to buy buy it back right you buy bitcoin to cancel that out and um so that that is a short squeeze and it pushed the price pretty quickly from 18000 all the way up to 21000 I mean just over the weekend it was pretty amazing to watch just continually ticking upward We'll see what happens now. There's a few indicators that I include on the report this week uh, that are showing at least room for a correction. Um, I mean, just looking at this chart right here, you can see there's plenty of room to come down, back down to the 200-day before any other upside, and so that is what I'm watching for. I mean, I would not be surprised at all by that kind of move right there. Um, Does it have to do that? No, we can – we can go sideways and then up so we can go sideways for the rest of the month, even right here at 21,000 and then break up. So we'll see, we'll see how this price goes. But uh, really, even if we crash all the way down, back down to say 19,000, 18,000, that would be a big crash and it wouldn't really do a lot of damage to the chart because we have this high from mid December that is right around 18,300. So this is like the point of no return down here. So we could come all the way down like this, test that bounce back up uh, and still have no damage to the this kind of breakout of the chart. So um, I'm liking this, I'm liking this a lot. And look how much it took, it took FTX blowing up to get us to do a similar type of move um, back in November and i don't think that we're going to see anything like that right now coming up in the near term there's i mean yeah we have the dcg stuff going on and the gemini stuff going on but even with that news bitcoin pumped right that that is not how bitcoin has behaved in the last 12 to 18 months all the bad news actually resulted in down days even if it wasn't a you know collapse when some bad news hit it would tick down marginally red on a day, but we had this big Gemini being sued by the SEC news and the price rallied 10%. So, you know, that, that's kind of the sign of a bull market as well, is if Bitcoin just rallies right through bad news. And that's a pretty big news, if you ask me. I mean, Gemini getting sued by the SEC, that is big news and nothing nothing happened. The price didn't care at all. So, Um, anyway, watching for more developments on this, let's take a look at some other charts. So we have the S and P 500 is closed, but futures is open. We can take a look real quick, quick at futures. And it is slightly above the 200 day, slightly above this diagonal trend line. So, you know, it's doing its work, but it's kind of a blah day right now. Um, not a ton of action happening, not a lot of news, um, you know, like Powell speeches or anything like that. Not a lot of headline numbers coming out. So it's kind of a off news day. It's, the market is closed other than futures and things. And so, you know, this is kind of a, a slow day overall. Oil down a little bit on the day. Dollar bouncing a little bit on the day. I do talk about this in the newsletter. So uh, check that out, what I'm thinking about the dollar. I'm going to have to go in, dive in deep uh, on what's happening with the dollar. Cause I did not expect it to get this low. Um, but we'll see, we'll see when it reverses. There, there's a few signs that I've noticed already, uh, with some of the indicators that I did put on the report that, um, show me that, or tell me that this is, could be a bottom. There are a few signs. I mean, looking at the daily chart, there's more signs looking at a weekly chart. There's fewer signs that it is the bottom. So, uh, we might see a slow turnaround in the dollar. But overall, I still do not expect it to weaken dramatically. Okay, and gold. Ooh, gold broke. It's 2011 high again. But it's back down below it right now. So whatever. Okay, let's get into Davos. And this is the story from Zero Hedge, but it's via the offguardian.org. I don't know that website, but it, this writing is pretty good. This article is really good, so I can, uh, I would recommend going, checking out Off Guardian. I might have to do that a little bit more. It's off-guardian.org. Let me switch to this tab. Okay, there we go. Um, off-guardian.org. Now, I did, speaking of Davos, I did do a podcast episode on Davos several, was it last year or two years ago? Let's see, May of 2022. May of 2022 and this is with Fedwatch and we go through the history of Davos. It's pretty interesting. So let me go through that with you guys real quick and then we'll talk about what they're doing this week. So the beginnings of Davos. So it was originally called the European Economic Management Forum. It was founded in 1971. Uh, and it was founded by Klaus Schwab and we all know Dr. Evil in the suit. Uh that was Klaus Schwab and he was the Founder of the European Management Forum. But notice that word management. That's one of the calling cards of these global Marxists is management. You know, they want a managed economy and a managed society. Marxism, socialism, that's what it's all about. Um, At first, Davos was a small conference of European businessmen discussing Klaus Schwab's ideas of stakeholder capitalism. So that's what he started. This as stakeholder capitalism is. Just a, a new way of saying capitalism, but with some socialist aspects to it, right? Big, large corporations—they have responsibility and a duty to society. It, you're capitalist, but you have a your stakeholder in society and a responsibility and a duty. So that's like stakeholder capitalism, and that's what they were first discussing for many, many years. Um, I broke it down with some achievements of Davos. They Over 50 years, they really haven't had any achievements. They've listed things like stopping a Turkish-Greek war in 1987, uh, having a small role in German reunification, and helping end apartheid in South Africa by hosting a handshake between Nelson Mandela and Frederick de Klerk uh, in 1992. But that's it. They didn't really do anything they just took credit for a few things that were happening like for example you know they didn't play a huge role in south the uh, ending apartheid in south africa but they hosted the handshake oh so they are responsible you know they, they just take credit for that kind of thing right uh so the w the wef the world economic forum really hasn't done anything like they don't have any accolades to their name really So what have they been doing if they haven't been doing big, important things? They have a young leaders group that they get together, um, and they graduate roughly 100 rising young leaders from around the world who are destined for high office, either in government, business, or culture. So they are indoctrinating these young leaders to go out there and preach the Marxist line, right? And and that is people like Trudeau and that... um, female prime minister from New Zealand. They are famously young leaders and they're all over the place Uh, in government, in unelected agencies in government, um, in high up in the corporate world. uh, A lot of these young leaders now have made it into uh, higher positions. And that is of the famous line of Klaus Schwab when he said, we have infiltrated the parliaments. I think that's what he said, infiltrated the parliaments. So yeah. Yeah that that's that was their goal all along but okay let's talk about the great reset real quick so the great reset was seen i think at you know there's all these theories different theories about was this planned uh, was covid planned i don't necessarily think that but i'm sympathetic to those ideas and it was definitely seen as a way to push this narrative forward you know it, it was very very interesting regardless of your you know, political persuasion or regardless of your thoughts on the great reset or whatever, it, it has to strike you as very interesting that the global response in all these different countries was so identical. Lockdowns, vaccination program, they were all identical. And it, this is a lot behind this is the WEF plans. Uh, they're using this as a way for a great reset. They want to remake the global economy in a better image. They are the progressives. They know how to march you down towards utopia. They know how to fix things. If you just listen to them, they know how to fix things. And we'll get into that a little bit more when we talk about this year. Uh, Some ideological connections here. So why do I call them global Marxists? Well, because they're global Marxists. (laughs) And it started... uh, I mean, Klaus Schwab, obviously, with stakeholder capitalism, is a socialist type of spin on things. But uh, he was heavily influenced by Father Kamara from South America, and Kamara was a major Marxist. Liberation theology was his big thing. And if you listen to people like James Lindsay and other experts in this type of uh, this type of thought, then you can see, like, liberation theology. Oh, Kamara was the the founder, the leader, the head of that type of idea. And this is all Marxist ideology. But anyway, um, he went in 1974, he went to the European Economic Forum, even though he was so Marxist and people didn't like his ideas in the West that he wasn't like allowed in polite society in the West. But Klaus Schwab gave him this uh, platform to speak. And he went out there and preached wealth distribution. I mean, it's obviously a Marxist thing. So what else we got here? Um, so he was persona non grata to many governments, but Schwab called him his spiritual father. This influence was much more broad than just the WEF. Kamara was also mentored, mentor to Paulo Ferreri, author of The Pedagogy of the Oppressed, the third most cited book in the social sciences and underpins identity Marxism. That has infiltrated western schools a third disciple of camara camara is pope francis known in some circles as the marxist pope so that's it that's a little background let's jump in to this new article the headline is let me share this tab the headline is a new system inside the davos summit 2023 wef conference looks set to focus on what the globalist elite can learn from the failures of their pandemic narrative and this is a good article but this particular point i don't agree with i don't think they've learned all that much that's not what marxists do right marxists don't learn from their mistakes they say oh we didn't try hard enough or, or we need to try a slightly new tact but they never actually go back and question their assumptions They never go back and really deep dive and learn what went wrong. They say, oh, we we were on the right track. We just didn't quite do it right. We need to tweak our process. No, I don't think they learn from their failures. Anyway, okay. The World Economic Forum's annual meetup kicks off today. Politicians, corporate giants, philanthropists, and all manner of elite monstrosities gather for a weekend of telling each other how smart they are (laughs) <laughs> and making the world generally worse. But what's on the menu this year? Well, here are five main items up for discussion, according to the WEF's website. And I did pull that up. So this is the WEF's website, and you can see they go through 16 through 20 January. Here's the program, and here are their kind of talking points that they're go- they go through. So that's where he's getting this from. All right. So see if you can notice a pattern. Addressing the current energy and food crises in the context of a new system for energy, climate, and nature. Addressing the current high inflation, low growth, high debt economy in the context of a new system for investment, trade, and infrastructure. Number three, addressing the current industry headwinds In the context of a new system for harnessing frontier technologies for private sector innovation and resilience. Number four, addressing the current social vulnerabilities in the context of a new system for work, skills, and care. And five, addressing the current geopolitical risks in the context of a new system for dialogue and cooperation in a multipolar world. So, of course, the pattern is in the context of a new system, in the context of a new system. This is the new tagline that they're using. Um, the Great Reset wasn't even on that webpage that talks about their whole program. The word The Great Reset doesn't even exist there. They are going full bore into new, this new system in the context of a new system. The Great Reset has happened or whatever, now they had to build a new system. That is what they're going with. Now, none of this is news. A new system for energy is a Green New Deal. A new system for international cooperation is some type of global governance. And a new system for investment and trade covers a lot of topics, including digital currency. Like I said, nothing new. But it's always refreshing to see in print with no effort to hide it. It's also interesting that they don't use the phrases new normal, great reset, or build back better anywhere on the page despite the fact it's obviously what they're talking about a little victory for the alternative media who have clearly raised enough awareness awareness that those phrases are now considered too tainted to use in fact the wef's brotherhood is clearly concerned about losing control of the narrative in this article from a few days ago highlights the world's biggest problem solvers need to craft better narratives and i have this one up here too i will include this in the show notes for you guys. Um, And after this, I'll put it in the Telegram group as well. Uh, So yeah, this is an article here that they have on their website. Let me just read through this. So again, the headline, the world's biggest problem solvers need to craft better narratives. And one of the first sentence, uh, first paragraphs here, first sentences, people are more persuaded by the information presented Within a narrative, because a good narrative helps to ease information processing. Those trying to solve the world's most pressing challenges must take notice of this. So ease information processing. Yes, that's true, but not in a fake way. See, that's the problem with what they have done, is they have oversimplified the narratives to ease information processing. But they were easily falsifiable. You can't catch or spread. Easily falsifiable. Safe and effective. When you put these taglines out there that ease information processing, if they're wrong, like they can't be wrong if they're if you're trying to ease information processing. And that's their big problem because everything that they do is factually incorrect. Marxists are just that way. They can't do economic calculation. They can't think in a rational economic manner. And so everything that they predict, everything they want to do, is going to be factually incorrect. Uh, down here, I found some other stuff that was interesting. So researcher Nina, Nina Jaikowitz writes, quote, narratives with a kernel of truth are more successful. In fact, fake news encompasses just a sliver of Russian influence operations. The most convincing Russian narratives are narratives grounded in truth that exploit the divisions in societies. Obviously pushing this Russia, Russia, Russia. And now it turns out there were no Russian bots or very few on Twitter uh, in some of the latest Twitter files that came out. So, you know, this is just a tired narrative. And again, they're oversimplifying to Russian influence operations and it's easily falsifiable. So... They're going to continue down this road. They know they're losing the the meme wars. They know they're losing the narrative wars. They know they're losing all these things. So now they have to switch it up to a new system. Now let's get back to this article. We can skip down here. Okay. We must name the real antagonists. Irresponsible. Okay, so they're quoting from that article again about the narrative wars. We must name the real antagonists, irresponsible politicians, bought scientists, and some companies failing to live up to the needs of the transition to net zero. We must also stop pretending that there is a debate over the facts of climate change. A false balance is a phenomenon that occurs when a news organization or other media outlet presents an issue as being the subject of a debate, even when there is no actual debate or disagreement among experts on the matter. So. I don't know. I I mean, I'm sure you can find something in science that's like pretty far beyond debate, but you can always find at least one person most likely to take the other side. Science is never settled. It should always be open for debate. Even if you think it's settled, it should always be open for debate. And uh, anyway, that's what they're saying here is that, um, I don't know. They're just trying to Climate change is a real big thing for them, okay? If we can beat back the tide of climate change, we destroy all of their narratives. And their narratives have been failing left and right. So um, I need to share this tab. Sorry, guys. The narratives have been failing left and right. Um, Let me go back up here to their things here. Yeah, their very first one is about climate. Current energy and food crises in the context of a new system for energy, climate, and nature, it's all about climate. Uh, everything is about climate, 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 in all their stuff. If we can beat back that tide, they don't even have room to drive any wedge in anything else. They have to establish the climate stuff. And yeah, it's well established in the halls of the parliaments around the world, but um, <clears throat> it's slowly getting beaten back here. I mean, people realize this when they look at energy prices. Um, You know, they're paying high energy prices, they're paying uh, high electricity prices, that they're going to see this. And I think Davos thought that they would be able to destroy the old system and bring up a new system. So they could destroy the old system uh, of energy dependence on fossil fuels and use that as a willing market for renewables, like wind and solar and stuff. But it's just not possible, okay? They're finding this out. They're finding this out. And the more we, we talk about it, especially on more open platforms like we have today, then the less that their narratives, that their precious narratives that they're trying to build up here, they don't work. All right, let's continue with this. The author is talking about climate change, but his points about shifting blame and shutting down debate apply across the board. Look for a shift of narrative villains this year. So we're gonna see narrative villains this year, as well as increasing emphasis on positivity and unity. Unity likely means attempting to woo back some of the fringe mainstream elements pushed further to the alternative by the COVID narrative. All right. Yes, but unity, you guys know my thoughts on that. Like we're going to a deglobalized world, trust in institute international institutions is breaking down. And you hear this all over the place from the IMF to the BIS to the ECB, whatever. They always talk about cooperation, cooperation. Well, cooperation is breaking down. Unity is breaking down. If you need unity, which global Marxists need unity, they need these international institutions to push their solutions, their final solutions on everybody, right? They can't just let like the US not do it or China. Like imagine if, the U S and China didn't do their, their solution to climate change. I mean, it wouldn't matter. It would just expose them once again as lying. So they can't, they have to have international cooperation. They can't move forward without that. So yeah, they're going to shift majorly to unity, but we should look at that as a win. That should be a win to us because we're making them step. They had unity back in 2020. Look at the, Total robotic, you know, in unison response to COVID. That was unity. That unity has broken down. Now they need to call back for unity. They need to get you back. Right? They, they've they lost places like Sweden. They've lost, lost places like uh, Italy. They've lost places even now the U.S. With even that, just one house of, of our Congress going the other way. They have lost this unity. They need to woo that unity back. So this is a win, guys. A lot of people are very black-pilled about this, but to me, this is a white pill. If they have to take a step back and call once again for unity, that means they're losing. They need to regroup. They're regrouping right now. They're regrouping with failed narratives and failed topics and subjects like climate change. All right. Elsewhere, on a related note, there's likely to be talk of censorship. Oh, sorry, countering misinformation as discussed in this WEF article from six days ago. Digital safety applying human rights in the digital world. The article details the challenges facing the WEF's global coalition for digital safety in their efforts to tackle the likes of child sex abuse and exploitation, terrorism and hate speech, misinformation and content related to self harm and, and suicide. Notice how. Hate speech and misinformation are thrown in there with the actual crimes. To quote Sesame Street, one of these things is not like the other, but that's no response in the age of legal but harmful. To be clear, these people do not care about any of those things, not at all. Their businesses exploit children. Their state agencies fund terrorism. Their media outlets spit out misinformation at 50 words a minute. They only really care about control. In this instance, That means controlling the internet, more specifically, controlling what we are allowed to say and hear on the internet. Okay, so I I disagree slightly with this, and I want to take it from an angle of what they really care about, okay? I wonder if you guys have read Mass Formation book by uh, Desmet. Uh, This came out about a year ago, maybe six months ago and it talked about uh, mass psychosis in society. And a lot of people think like the leaders are doing this on purpose and they are controlling the population. They're controlling the public, you know, through their rhetoric and things. But what Desmond points out is that many, many times, most of the time, almost all the time, that that the leaders are equally as hypnotized by the message themselves. You know, that rush of euphoria you get When you um, are, when you compete well, or you do something well, well, they're on the stage, they're using their voice, they're uh, persuading the crowd, and it feels well, they hypnotize themselves into believing what they're doing. So I think most of these people, even though they're evil, they think that they are good. They think they can manage the global economy. They truly do. They think it's truly better for society, for humanity. Uh, to go back to the Stone Age, they really think that's the best way to do it, or they think that they can they can manage it. so we won't go back to the Stone Age so that we'll go to some you know Star Trek future. They think that's that they can do it, that we can plan society out. You know this is a Marxist socialist idea uh, and they are equally as hypnotized as the people that believe them, okay? So I don't think it's necessarily all about control. Control is a means to an end to them. They, I think so. For the vast majority, of course, this is not all people. There are extremely psychotic people in the world that do just lust for the control for control's sake, and they're using it the other way. They're using the WEF as a means to an end so that they can get control. So there's all these other types in there. But I think the majority of these people are deluded themselves. They think that they, they can solve it. Or if they can't solve it, then, you know, they have such faith in the ability for humans to centrally plan that somebody will figure it out. Even if they don't, they are, their little piece is to brainwash you and then someone else will figure out how to centrally plan it. Right? So they, they're technocrats through and through, they believe a hundred percent in their mission they believe it in their, that that's their goal. So it's not technically about control in my mind. They never have, what did I write down here? Sorry, I'm just looking at my notes. All right, let's continue. Maybe Maybe I'll remember what that little note that I wrote myself meant. <laughs> Another potential focus for discussion highlighted in a couple of places will be a push for more direct action. What they seem to be calling tangible solutions the head of Amnesty International, who will be in attendance, has called for Davos attendees to focus on, quote, tangible solutions that we already know work rather than opting to protect the existing global economic system at any cost. That's an interesting quote, because I think what they mean by that second part, uh, protect the existing global economic system at any cost is, you know, they think it's just a withdrawal symptom. They think that going away from fossil fuels and the reaction to of high prices, right? The reaction to high electricity prices, high uh, energy prices, uh, crashing economic numbers—they think all of that is just a withdrawal symptom, and we need to push through it. So rather than uh, protecting the existing global economic system at any cost, we need to push for tangible solutions right now. I mean, how th- this can go off the rails extremely quickly, people. Extremely quickly. And I don't often get concerned about these things. Um, But just reading this and and talking about this right here, I actually just got concerned for Europe because I think it can go off the rails really quickly over there. Um, I mean, we already see it. I mean, places like Sweden that are seen as like the stronghold of liberalism elected this majority right-wing party. Right-wing parties are coming up all over the place. And I've said this in my stuff in the past. Populism in the United States has a much different flavor than populate, uh, populism elsewhere. So populism in, in Germany has a much different flavor than populism in the United States. You obviously, know probably what I'm talking about with German history. But your U.S. history is mainly isolationist. When the popul populists are in control, then you have isolationism in the united states it's ex- almost the exact opposite as Germany. so if you have a rise of populism around the world almost globally, you're going to have a rise of nationalism and and populism. It's going to have different flavors all around the world, and we need to be prepared for that um, so I hope it doesn't come to bad stuff, but look this type of rhetoric that This is just withdraw symptoms. You don't know what's good for you. We need tangible solutions. We need to drive these tangible solutions and we will crack down on people that we don't get tangible solutions out of. Uh, That has the opportunity to spiral out of control pretty quickly. All right, let's continue. Underlying that now is the time for action, not empty gestures and simultaneously echoing the new system messaging. The tangible solution line is repeated in the narrative's article mentioned earlier by financial consultancy giant Mercer on their page about Davos a WEF expert panel and by Forbes in their article on young leaders at Davos of course solutions based thinking has been a corporate talk has been corporate talk for decades and now is the time for action is a cliche which does the rounds at every meeting summit or conference nobody in history ever said now is not the time for action. Now is the time for gestures. So of course it could be empty words designed to make the speakers and their meeting feel important. And that is a very important line as well. Um, somebody on the telegram channel said, Hey, you know, why do they have 5,000? What was it? 5,000 military? Was it was the army guys from Switzerland or was it volunteers? I don't, I don't know. Maybe it was private security, but it was supposed to be 5,000 security personnel around this Davos. That just seems a little bit obsessed with your own importance, right? You're you're deluded by how important you are. You need a freaking army to protect you at this conference. So either they're more scared, either they're really scared, which is possible, or they're deluded in their own self-importance. So... Either one of those is a white pill. It should be a white pill for us. But could it be something else? Perhaps a sign that the propaganda stage of the Great Reset is over, and now we transition to the next stage, signaling a move away from passive manipulation and psychology-driven control mechanisms and toward a more direct enforcement. Maybe. Okay, maybe. But, you know, they need international cooperation, and they're not going to get it. Just look at the Ukraine more russo-ukraine war and it is split about 50 50 a majority of the population of the world isn't on the side of nato right it's just nato basically it's just the western world that is on one side and so you are not going to have international cooperation and enforcement and unity so if you're if now the great reset is over now we're transitioning to the next stage signaling a move away from passive manipulation toward mechanisms uh, of direct enforcement. They don't have the international agreement to have direct enforcement. They just don't have that. Okay, continuing. I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Either way, you can broadly define the Davos agenda as four main themes. A new system, reforming the global systems of politics and finance, Controlling the narrative, telling more believable lies and limiting public debate, countering misinformation, i.e. censorship, especially on the Internet, and tangible solutions, taking more direct action via enforcement and policy. That's the article. I think it's very interesting. A new system is the new kind of tagline and narratives. So that's it. Check out BitcoinandMarkets.com. Sign up for the free tier. Become a paid member if you uh, like my content. And uh, make sure you're subscribed to YouTube. It's BTC Market Update. Rumble, it's just Bitcoin and Markets. And then on Twitter, at Ansel Linder Should be live streaming over there as well. We're going to end it there for today. Thank you for joining me. Hope you guys have a great day. Great start to your week. And I will see you tomorrow. Bye.